Howdy, Ags. Welcome to Aggie Growth Hacks, the podcast sponsored by the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship, where we help Ags improve their business, connect with other Aggie entrepreneurs, and support one another. I'm your host, Greg Martin, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2001. And I'm your co-host, Chris Hunter, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 1998. Well, we got a little story for you, Ags. John White, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2008, is the managing member of TechBundle a technology consultant and management company headquartered here in College Station, Texas. John approaches business with the mind of an engineer, a mathematician, and a philosopher all rolled up into one. So pass it back and listen up to John as he shares some good bull. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us today on Aggie Growth Hacks. I've, I've really been looking forward to this interview ever since we've kind of talked about it. And, and I know that we've worked together in the past, and I've always been really impressed with how you just, you you run your business, you know the numbers. And and while growth is something that you definitely focus on, that's not the only thing about your business. So I really appreciate your willingness to, to share a little bit of insight of how you look at business and how you've really succeeded. So thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. If anybody else had asked me to do this, I would have given me an excuse of being too busy. So it's a little special. <laughs> there you go. I, well, we definitely do. Well, John, you're a class of 2008, and but you are still here in Bryan College Station, and you're really integrated. You and your company are integrated into the community. But what do you miss about being a student at AM? So really, um, it, this, this should probably resound with uh, resonate with any of the business owners, but like the idea of able to focus on something for five or six months at a time and externally people expecting you just to focus on that and not feeling like you have to go juggle 30 different things. Um, you know, at the time it feels stressful, but looking back on it, that's definitely something I miss like being presented with a subject matter, having the time like allotted to you to be able to actually focus on it, become proficient at it and then build on that while you're not trying to do 20 other things at the same time. That's definitely something I miss. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, and that's, and that's, and that's awesome, awesome because, because, you know, us as entrepreneurs, we've got a million different things and we're tugged at a at hundred different ways mm -hmm. uh, at any given point during our days. Totally get that. So tell us a little bit about Tech Bundle and what you do with uh, Tech Bundle and how did you even get into doing that? Yeah, my story is pretty interesting. So when I was at AM, my interests, I originally went in for uh, electrical engineering. My focus had always been on math. And I definitely think like an engineer, but I realized really quickly it's not something I wanted to do for, for a living. I think it's similar. Like I was watching an interview with Jeff Bezos where he was joking about trying to solve a physics problem like half a day with his roommate. And I went over to some other guy and he just did it in his head. And he's like, okay, I guess I'm not going to be a physicist. Um, it was similar for me. Like I, I love engineering. I love problem solving. But on math, I was watching people that were just doing it. Like that was their release at, at night, go home and do math. And I was like, okay, that's probably not going to be for me. And so I switched over to liberal arts specifically philosophy and it was all with like the idea of problem solving right and logic that's where I, where I loved and it was so it was like the abstracted version of math and so i was looking at staying in academia and i started to get burnt out with that seeing all the politics that went on and so technology is just something always i've done i've always been good at it i've always been the, the person people go to even when it wasn't with my job or my career and so i started working here in 2010 part-time actually just doing like bench work. And then I've worked with my way through basically all the positions here until now that I own it. And so I'm very familiar with all the different aspects of small business technology. And that really has been beneficial because that's really what we do as a company is we work strictly with other businesses and we, we outsource the IT component of their business. And I tell people all the time, like really what we're doing is trying to act as a navigator with that, that business owner and kind of sit in the, the car with them. 
And it's not like we're the ones getting them to the, the, the destination. We're just with them however long the journey goes, right? And we're just helping kind of guide and steer their decision-making when it comes to the technology part. And I love how the, the approach that you have with that is that you really do take a consultative approach to see, say, look, I'm not going to tell you where this card's going, but I can help you be much more efficient and not frustrated and let your people do what, what you train them to do and let technology do what it, what it does best. John, is there something that if you're looking back, so you've been with the company, like you said, for a very long time, worked your way up through the entire organization, know, know every facet of the organization, but is there something that you looked at and said, okay, when we did this as a company or we brought on this person or we entered into this type of offering that our business changed and we really started to explode and grow? Do you have that tipping point moment? Oh yeah, hundred percent for us. I think every company has you know a few, um, and hopefully one stands out. And and for us, it was you know when you're in IT, you can get pulled all different directions because technology is so all encompassing. And uh, I talked to a lot of other other providers, and they're still trying to do everything. You know, from a single person's house that has a computer with a problem and they go out and fix it to businesses that have 130 employees. And the big moment for us was taking a look at our business model and going, we're making, we're, we're getting cash from all of these people, but what do we really do best and what clients represent or make up that demographic and, and deciding to proactively offboard all the other clients, whether they're individuals or they're smaller companies or people that just didn't fit. And That's we got such a of nice way of saying you fired them. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's a politically correct way to say that we fired like 75% of our clients. But we, wow, 75%. 75. But it was the 80-20 rule. You look at like how much revenue they made up and how much opportunity cost went into supporting those. And they were taking up all of our time. It was always firefighting. There was no standardizing anything. There was no getting people to a better place, technologically speaking, so that things were calmed down. So it was just, it was a no-win scenario. And so it was a hard decision. And people thought we were crazy because they're like, that's money on the table that you're just, you know, throwing off to the side. But immediately it allowed us to focus on those clients that were paying us for what we wanted to be doing and what we were good at doing. And the opportunity cost it freed up was enormous because then we can start taking on more of those clients. And it's amazing once you kind of define those boundaries about what you do, mm-hmm. how you can really start to do it well and how much more profitable it is. Wow, that's so awesome. So what is your ideal client then? Who did you focus on? Yeah, so we, like I was saying, we had everybody. And so what we started looking at was, okay, we know, A, it's kind of like Venn diagrams. We're we're trying to see like what circles do we want. We want them to be private businesses. Because I think when you start dealing with corporate IT, that's a whole different animal. And so we wanted to be private, like smaller, closely held businesses. We didn't want to deal with individuals because to me, again, that's a different type of IT support. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to find businesses that were interested in, in growing. So there needed to be a certain maturity level there. It wasn't like IT is a cost center. We just want to keep the lights on. You know, let's run these computers until they, they have dust on them and they die. And so once we started looking at our existing client base, we're like, okay, we've got a good selection of those clients that fit those criteria. And oh, by the way, they're also our favorite clients to work with. And it's also what we do best. And so it was like the whole kind of concept of Kaizen, right? It's like, this is what we do really well. We have a passion for it. We can make money doing it. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. Let's focus on that. How did you determine that? How did you say, you know, out of all of my clients, these are the ones that we want to keep? And like, what was the process behind that? How did you get there? Yeah, it was about a year long process. So Greg knows knows just about me. Like, I'm very much a numbers guy, right? So we track everything. So we know what our gross margin is for every client. I track everything religiously in tickets. So the numbers were there. You just had to look at them the right way and go, okay, if I've got client X, 
how much time do we spend with that client a year? And how much are we charging that client a year? And then you kind of think, okay, is there an amount I could charge that client that would make it worth it for both of us, like a win-win type of situation? And that's really the focal point for me. It wasn't, could I start charging a lot more, even if these clients weren't a good fit and we'd still make the money? It was what made sense where if we charge more, we delivered a service they also benefited from and which two you know, fit both criteria. And that was really, we just went and talked to every client we had and said, okay, here's what we're, where we're going. Are you interested in going this, on this journey with us? And this is what the pricing would look like. And we basically just repitched ourselves to our existing client base. And the ones that said yes, signed contracts, which then allowed us leverage to get you know, loans and other things like um, that. Yeah. And uh, the ones that didn't, we facilitated, we didn't just dump them to the curb. We facilitated an offboard to another provider so they had somewhere to go. So that took us about a year, maybe a year and a half to, to do. But yeah, it was a function of the size of the business, if they were interested in what we were doing as a company, where we were going, and if the pricing made sense for them, for us. Did you start to offer either new services or something like that to to have to increase that value to those target clients? We did. I think I'm not often one to like say, oh, I have wisdom to give, but this is one thing I have learned. So oftentimes, if you're good at what you do, you always feel like you have to reinvent yourself. But often what's happening is the value is already there. You're just not communicating it in, in a way that people understand. So if you take what you're doing already and you figure out how to package that and figure out what the actual market value of it truly is and, and you feel comfortable standing behind that, you'll be amazed that people are willing to pay for it. And so that's what we did. We were like, okay, for the clients that we really enjoy working with, that this makes sense with, here's what we're already doing for them. And so why don't we just package that together and call it our service offering and put a contract behind it. And that's all we do now. I so yeah, that's that. exactly what we did. Brilliant. That is, Yeah. That is such a, a keen insight that every single person, every single entrepreneur can take. And it's just awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Before we move on, we're going to pause here for a quick message from our sponsor. All right, and we're back. So here's the next question. What's your biggest challenge that you're facing today? And how are you overcoming that? Uh, I've got a good answer to the first part, and I don't really have a great answer to the second part. So the biggest challenge is definitely recruiting good people. And I know everybody's really faced with that right now, but in the IT space, it's exceedingly difficult because there's a lot of people that have moved to technology as a business kind of sector or vertical because they see all the, the jobs that are emerging. But then trying to find people that are actually competent, know what they're doing, or good at problem solving is very hard. And when you do what we do, especially as a, as a smaller team, because we're smaller by design, we run kind of as an agile business, we're looking for you know a smaller group of people that are, are very talented and very good at what they do and can hold their own. And how you vet that is, is a pretty excruciating process. And so it's, it's been the biggest constraint we have as a business is how do we keep up with the growth of this community and the growth of our business by, by keeping those good people and bringing more in? And in terms of trying to, to tackle that, You'll find a lot of like the larger tech companies like Google will basically bring you in and they'll have you solve a problem. And they're usually kind of tongue-in-cheek problems where there's multiple ways to solve it and how you solve it is what they're looking for. And that's similar for us. We have a test that we give people where it's basically like a, a piece of networking equipment. And everything about that piece of networking equipment is solvable by using Google. We give them a computer with network connectivity. And so it's not you don't have to know anything inherent about what you're sitting down in front of. And what we're looking for really with that test is how do they go about problem solving? How do they go about searching for answers? How do they go about trying to tackle a problem they've never seen before? And that tells us a lot about how they think and how they at attack problems. And that's what we're looking for that we all have in common here because we love problem solving. We, we all love new problems. We're not intimidated <coughs> by them. And we're comfortable tackling them. So John, does your academic degree 
I mean, because when you kind of talk through that, I'm thinking, well, you know, that that's what you trained at A&M through your academic studies is to be able to kind of understand problems in the abstract, not necessarily just in the, okay, plug this into this, you know, so, so has that shaped the development of that test or, or where did you come up with that? Oh, definitely. I mean, it was really, I was taking a platform that I didn't think anybody would know on purpose. Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to conflate, you know, someone just being familiar with a platform with true like problem solving. So, in just to geek out for a second for anybody that, that listens that is in tech, a lot of people will give you like a Cisco test, right? But there are a lot of people that have CCNA certifications just because they took them in college or community college or, or technical college or whatever. So they might have some familiarity without really knowing what answer that they're giving. It's just I've seen this before and it's this. So I was looking for something completely alien, and that very much to your point does come from you know academic background of when you're trying to abstractly solve a problem, the whole point of abstracting it is there's nothing you're familiar with. You're really just distilling it down to the logical basics and then going, okay, well, if A is B, then what does that mean? And that's what we were looking for. Because really for us, that's the type of thinking that we need because we're supporting so many different client environments. You could say 80% of what businesses try to tackle in in the technology space is the same, but there's 20% that's different. And so you, you don't have the bandwidth to try to document to death the differences every single time. So you need to have people that are comfortable just going, cool, okay, I've never seen this problem before, but I've seen things like this. So I can take that information and transpose it here and, and figure out the best way to tackle this. And they, they just need to have that skill set where you're going to have people endlessly just going through escalation loops. And we all know what that feels like when we're dealing with like an internet service provider or a vendor. And it's just, it's exhausting and frustrating. So let me ask you this question. Let's kind of flip that same thought on its ear. So what are the changes in your industry that you're seeing that are going to take place in the next couple of years? And, and how are you positioning yourself to overcome that, to hack it, and, and to do the same thing that you, to solve that problem that you don't even, maybe you don't even know what it is yet? Yeah, there's definitely one, there's two specific things, but they're all the same like genesis of a development. So that comes to cybersecurity. So in like the cultural like consciousness, we've seen this in the last two years, right? All these things with foreign hacks, with software applications being hijacked, even at a very high level, ransomware developments. So it's become kind of like part of the zeitgeist now. People are all aware of it. They're like, oh, you know, it was my identity can be compromised. Now it's all my company's data can be compromised and used for who knows what. And for the longest time, it was, oh, that happens to big companies. And now what we're seeing is the insurance companies and lawmakers are starting to understand that it doesn't matter what size business you are. They're coming after anybody that they, that they can get, it, get into. And so what I see coming down the road is, I'm already seeing this on the insurance side, are people that do, you know, like errors and emissions insurance or cyber insurance going, okay, so as a business, tell me a little bit about your IT practices. Do you have multi-factor? You know, what are your password and, and your account policies? Do you have zero trust? Like, what does that mean? And all of a sudden you start flagging yourself to be uninsurable or your insurance rates going through the roof because they don't want to see that risk if they're going to insure you against something like a ransomware event. And so it's, I think it's a great opportunity. And really the way that we've been tackling that is going, okay, we're doing, again, back to what I said about businesses already doing a lot of the work, just having to market themselves. We're already doing almost all those security practices just out of good course. That's what we're advising our clients to do. So trying to get in front of more people and make them even aware, not as a sales pitch, but just you need to be doing these things. And you need to get ahead of that because these risks are already out there. But now you're going to be facing like financial repercussions if you can't be insured or if you're, you know, working at the state or government level and all of a sudden you're a provider. I see this happening already in some states. Like we do one local government here in Texas and they go, oh, you want to renew your contract? Well, now you have to show that you have these certifications to be able to work with these government agencies because we have to follow these guidelines now, which I think is a good thing. 
You know, I think that's that's way, way overdue. That's so interesting. So I know a little bit about that world, but not a whole heck of a lot. You know, do you find yourself more in an advisory role than pretty much anything for your company? I do. I, I definitely find that in a lot of cases, what we end up doing is just trying to bring, you know, decision makers up to speed on what's going on. Because the I, I liken this all the time to the medical industry, right? The, the developments are happening so rapidly that you already have to be a specialist in one area. But even more so than that, you have to find the time to stay on top of the latest procedures and studies and medications and everything. It's overwhelming. IT is very much the same way and developing at an almost arguably faster rate because we have to in response to all the cyber concerns. And so a lot of cases, it's just trying to keep that information from being overwhelming because it's everywhere and really distilling that down and just communicating it effectively to someone to say, okay, Mm -hmm. all that aside, all that noise aside, here are like the three things we can be doing right now that are going to make the biggest impact. That's definitely where I think we've seen the, especially for me, the focus be of the last two years or so. That's interesting. All right. So switching gears a tiny bit on the Aggie Growth Hacks, we talk about every business that is growing, that's fast growing, needs to have a big, hairy, audacious goal, right? Your BHAG. So what's your BHAG for next five, 10 years? I know it's hard to predict out all the way out to 10 years, but you know, what's, what is your moonshot? What's your big, hairy, audacious goal? Yeah. So for those that might be listening that aren't familiar with like the BHAG concept, you know, I was first introduced to it with like the idea of scaling up right? For like Vern Harnish. And so I was yeah. very much like, okay, I, I get that. I've always taken a, a numbers approach to it. So instead of it just being like an idealistic thing. <laughs> knowing you, how I do yeah, that, right? <laughs> it's a shocker. How would, you, how would you measure, right? So to me, it's like, this is how you know you're getting there is, is and, and what do you measure? And even though beyond that, to me, it's not so much, I want to be a $5 million company or, or whatever. It's, this is what I want to see on the ground. And so for me, that's how many clients at what margins. And so that's how I track things. And so for a five-year target for us, it's definitely having like I said, we only do the business-to-business IT. I want to see 30 clients, but I want to see 30 really great clients. Clients that really connect with us, that get what we do, we get what they do. The margins on them are really healthy. That allows us a lot of breathing room to develop as an organization and then have the cash we need to hire resources or spend time on development or spend time on research to stay ahead of all the stuff we were just talking about because it's expensive. And so that's a short kind of five-year goal. The 10-year goal would be going, okay, that's where it's a little more kind of elastic. It's do we want to replicate that or do we want to continue to scale that? Do we want to go from 30 to 60 or 90 clients, you know, or do we want to really start to then focus on perhaps a specific vertical or a specific business segment that we could really then up the game one more level and say, now we're, we're experts at this particular industry. And the reason I can't really tell you which direction we're going to go is I'm still kind of playing that by ear. You know, I'm still trying to see these regulations we're talking about, are they going to start then becoming vertical focused? You know, so then you want to go pick up a medical client and all of a sudden it's not just you got to have people trained in PHI, you have to have these certifications on top of that. And all of a sudden being able to support a whole bunch of different types of verticals becomes impractical because of the requirements. So we kind of have to see where the regulations take us. So John, I know that, that you're a big supporter of the, the local economic development corporation, the Brez Valley EDC. So are you using your activities in that group to, to one, improve our community, but then two, to also maybe test out and attract new clients to feel out your long-term vision. I mean, that's something you're doing practically today that's really impacting where you're going to go. Yeah, we, we joined a few months ago, and so far our experience has been fantastic. It's a really great group of people. The events they put on, and like I joked at the beginning of this, not really doing, I'm not a person that does podcasts. I'm not usually a person that gets drug out to events either. And theirs have been fantastic. 
it's full of other business owners that really are focused on solving problems and talking about issues they're having. And so you don't have to feel as guarded, like I'm going to give away trade secrets and they're going to use those against me. And it's been a great kind of friendly atmosphere. And in terms of leveraging it, we're actually right now in the process of trying to schedule a webinar for the beginning of the year where I can really take an opportunity to talk about some of the stuff we were just going over, which is like the cyber insurance requirements we've been saying. Specifically, one of the, the things I see coming down the pipe is, is supply chain. Traditionally, people are familiar with supply chain requirements. I run out of steel pipes, so therefore I can't buy pipes from my vendor. That's a problem. Well, now we're seeing it on the cyber side too. Maybe the pipe supplier gets ransomware. So they still have all the pipes in their yard, but they can't process any orders. So they might as well not have them. What do you do then? And so insurance companies are starting to wise up to that and going, okay, so for the vendors you work with, what are their IT practices? How can we ensure that they're not going to be compromised in such a way that you're now bottlenecked the same way and can't deliver to your customers or clients? And especially if you see companies that are owned by like equity firms or they have private partners, they're going, hey, I want to make sure everybody in my portfolio is following these best practices. And we're starting to see it come from that channel as well. So that's something we're, we're hoping to be able to talk about at the beginning of this year and kind of get people a, a heads up of what's happening and what to be prepared for. That could be a real competitive advantage, though, for so if I'm a pipe supplier and I have that and I've got that built out and I can, like you said, communicate that value properly, then there might be a premium that I can either charge or maybe, you know, to be able to to get into some customers that have always worked with Jim's Pipe and Steel and done it for 80 years. And, you know, Jim gave me a line of credit when no one else would. And that's important but you've got to diversify your supplier base. No, 100%. You know, traditionally, the joke's kind of been, you go out and try to contract something and you see, okay, here's everybody that has the service, who does it the cheapest. I think this adds another qualifier, right? Okay, who's got a reasonable price, but also satisfies these needs and requirements I now have, either from my equity partner or from my insurance company that says I have to have this. Or, you know, if you're being optimistic, maybe you can talk with the vendor and get them to implement some of those practices. But they're easier said than done. But either way, that's kind of where I see the market headed is we're all going to start taking responsibility for things like phishing and multi-factor on our user accounts because it's just, it's happening daily and the repercussions are costing so much money. All right. And we're back for our lightning round. All right. We have a few simple rules for this. Actually, really one rule. We're going to ask you questions and you have at most two minutes to answer each question. Man, okay? you're giving him a lot of time. <laughs> I, I know. I used to be a minute, but we never hit that anyway. So, you know. <laughs> All right. So, number one, what's your favorite hack? This can be a personal hack. This could be a business hack. Anything goes at this point. All right. It's going to sound like I'm, I'm pitching, pitching you, Greg. Uh, Profit First, Mike Michalowicz, my favorite business hack. And we started using that. <laughs> yes. It's basically the envelope system, right, for businesses, for everybody that's not familiar. But for me personally, the biggest thing has been not just the profit that you're taking, the fact that you're able to create a tax account and you put your money in that tax account as a business and you know that your taxes are paid when you get to the end of the year is an enormous relief in terms of just personal stress as a business owner. I cannot stress that enough. So if you haven't looked into that, please do. We just might know somebody knows something about that. So, well, actually, I've got to thank Chris because Chris was the one that actually introduced me to Mike Michalowicz and everything and started me on that path. So, and, and for all of our listeners, before you go on, Greg Martin here, my co host, is a profit first professional. He is just about the only banker who is a profit first professional in the entire world. So, please contact him if you need help on getting on that system. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Yeah. To your shameless plug, I'll add. 
The reason you want to do that is if you start researching this and you go to a bank and ask them to open all these accounts, they're going to look at you like crazy. <laughs> so if you work with someone that knows what you're trying to do, it makes it makes it a much more painless process. All right. Well, I'll pay. I'll pay both of y'all's dinner tab. You're just <laughs> <laughs> rolling out, uh, John. What's your favorite bit of advice that you've received, and then bonus points for an example of how you've actually implemented it. That quota, it's like a, an hour lost at a bottleneck is an hour lost for the total system. And then an hour lost uh, or an hour saved at a non-bottleneck is just a mirage. It's from the goal, theory of constraints, right? From Goldrat. And so TOC, typically think about it like manufacturing, but you can apply it to any business. And the idea is you kind of look around and go, where do I have a bottleneck in my organization? If you're being like we talked about before, pulled in 30 different directions. And if you can focus on the area you needed most, and you can just spend a few hours or days trying to address those problems, you're making a real impact to your organization. But if you're just helping someone for an hour or two on something that isn't the primary constraint in your business, then you're in a situation where you're just wasting time. And that, that's a hard thing to come to terms with and take seriously, but uh, it's been proven to me to be true over and over and over again in my own company. I love that. Where, what, what Did that come from a book or what, where did you? The goal. The goal. Mm -hmm. That's pretty awesome. I love that. In fact, I just wrote that down. Because I, I have issues with that in my own business, obviously. Every entrepreneur has that. All right, so next question. What's your superpower? Uh, I think kind of what I was talking about before, being able to sit the fence on both sides, right? So talking to a business and understanding what they're trying to accomplish and, and as a business need, and then translating that to a technology outcome. So how do we go back, talk to people that are IT-minded, engineer-minded, and find solutions? Because I think the biggest gap you see, and you see this, I remember watching an interview with Elon Musk, where he even came up for SpaceX. It's like the engineers are really good at solving problems, but you have to tell them what problem needs to be solved. And you have to communicate effectively what that problem needs to be. And it's not the engineer's fault. You just haven't given them the right problem to solve. So you have to know how to define the problem first and be willing to take a step back and ask someone to, to talk through with you so you can really figure out if you're trying to solve for the right issue. Because a lot of times people will throw things at you like they've already figured out what needs to be solved. And it takes some confrontation sometimes. You got to finesse that, right? To be able to go, oh, okay, let's, let's step back, see what you're actually trying to do. Maybe there's a different way we approach that. Mm -hmm. And I think being willing to do that gives us a huge advantage in the IT space because it, more often than not, that's what we run up against. Well, John, what gets you out of bed and excited about Tech Bundle? Uh, what gets me out of bed is that it's my responsibility. Because <laughs> I'm the boss. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where I'm sure anybody that owns a business can relate, hopefully. You know, you're responsible for these people's livelihoods. They've agreed to work for you. They put your trust in you. So anytime I'm feeling sluggish or like I want to take a break, you know, it's like, I, I got to keep going. You know, these people are, are keeping going. That keeps me going. And then what keeps me excited about it is, and I think if anybody's being honest, as they do this long enough, you start to burn out. I mean, you find some kind of way to control that as best you can. But what you hope for is that you build a good enough organization that when you do start to burn out, they're there to catch you, right? Because I think a lot of people early on, they feel like they're pulling the company up with a rope over a hill and then it's exhausting. And you kind of get to a point where you hope when you slow down, they got your back and, and you start to kind of follow them into some degree because you're like this momentum you've created has become more of a group thing. And then that keeps you accountable, right? And that is a much better place to be than feeling like you have to drive the whole train by yourself. Yeah, love it. Love it. Absolutely love that. So John, tell us how the Aggie Network can get in touch with you and support you moving forward. Yeah, so really two places, anything business development related. So we talked about the development but any other groups or memberships or forums that people think would be helpful, Dan Drake, the one I mentioned earlier, dan.drake at techbundle.com. He's our business development manager. And so he's the one that we coordinate all that through, which is always helpful. 
but then also just talent and people that go, Hey, we, we know some people that are good at it or they're looking for like, you know, service engineer jobs. We have a careers at techbundle.com. And like I said, I use this test. So I, I, I don't screen out anybody. I'm like, Hey, come in, let's see how your problem solving looks. That, that's, we don't discriminate against anybody's background in terms of like where they've worked, you know, what experience they have or don't have. Do you have certs? Do you not have certs? I don't care. I care about your ability to problem solve. And so if I can see that demonstrated, I want to give you a shot. So anybody that, that can be thrown our way, that's the hardest bottleneck for us to overcome right now as we grow. Well, John, thank you so much for taking time today to, to talk with us and just allow us to kind of peek into your brain a little bit and, and see how you approach business. I mean, I'm energized from this conversation and um, I'm really, I'm going to go check out the goal. I'm, I'm really yeah. stoked. Uh, appreciate you sharing that. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Well, how about that, Ags? Was that amazing or what? Man, he has so many valuable value bombs. That's the only thing I can say there, yeah, you know, that John shared with us. What was your favorite, Greg? It's hard to kind of narrow it down, but I really loved the quote that he said that if you have an hour delay in the bottleneck, it's an hour delay in the entire process. But if you have an hour gained someplace, not the bottleneck, it's an illusion. And that was a kick in the, the butt for me because, right. I mean, Chris, you and I have talked a lot about, you know, my job has transformed over the last couple months and there's new systems and new processes in place, the processes that I'm not in charge of, but yeah. I'm impacted by them. And so I now am going to go back and I'm going to take a look at the bottlenecks that I, I'm complaining about and frustrated with and be like, okay, how do I fix the hour or five? Heck, I'd be happy with a five minute savings at this point. And to be able to have that approach and look at it and not be caught up in the, the illusion of fixing a problem somewhere else, even though it may feel better to solve that problem. Well, and that's a very lean methodology type thing, right? Yeah. Fix what really bugs you the most. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that. That's pretty cool. So mine... Mine was the simplify, right? Simplify to multiply. He said that he fired 75% that is so of courageous. his clients. Holy crap. I mean, he's got major cojones or something, you know, because yeah. going in there and getting rid of 75% of your client base is just scary to me. That is just yep. absolutely scary. But he also said that he did it in a, in a year and a half time span. And additionally, they had done that by going in and getting those contracts and, and upselling their current client base mm -hmm. into the value where they wanted to be, as well as bringing on other contracts and so forth. So it freed up all of that opportunity, right? So that they could go out and get mm -hmm. more and multiply just simply by getting the right clients, you know? I love that. And, you know, that's something that I'm going to have to start looking at deep into my own business. And, and one of the things that I'm going to be looking at too, just even after this interview that that's like, okay, I should be doing that. Yeah. You know, every single entrepreneur should be doing that and, and really thinking about who are your best clients and mm -hmm. let's just get more of those. Well, kind of as, as a piggyback on that, I love his, his answer to my follow-up question where said, Hey, are you, did you bring more value or did you do a new offering or everything? And he was not nice about it, but he, he said, no, what he did was <laughs> communicate what they were already doing. They're right. already, you know, so from, from an entrepreneur's perspective, he's already paying his employees to do whatever it is that brought value yeah. to those clients. He just didn't communicate that effectively to those clients. And right. so they didn't do anything different, but mm -hmm. they got a raise. 
right. their compensation from the from the clients. Now it was the right clients that understood the value and they were able to communicate that value. But I loved it. He was like, no, we didn't really add a whole lot more. We yeah. just did a better job <laughs> communicating what we did do. Right. Absolutely. Well, Ags, that's going to do it for another episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. Chris and I hope that you enjoyed it and they hope that you connect with Aggie Growth Hacks with Chris and I and with today's guest. You can find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or you can join the Aggie Growth Hacks Facebook where we continue the conversation there. We hope that you also check out AggieGrowthHacks.com where you'll be able to not only see this episode, but our previous episodes. And we'd love to connect with you and maybe have you on a future episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. Aggie Growth Hacks was produced by fellow Aggies over at Podcast Architects. We also want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M University. Since 1999, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship has served as the hub of entrepreneurship at Texas A&M. If you're an Aggie entrepreneur or even a wantrepreneur, head on over to their website and find a program that's right for you. Just search up the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship in Google and head over there now. Join us next time when we connect with another great Aggie entrepreneur and learn how they hack their growth. Until then, I'm Chris Hunter. And I'm Greg Martin. Thanks and gig em. Woo!